0: Well, good morning and happy pre-Fourth of July. Good morning. Good morning. Brian nudged me on the way in and he said, Treason is the reason for the season. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that there. If you would please turn with me to Mark chapter 6. We'll be continuing in our series in Mark's Gospel. An important question in life is this what do you really need think about it what do you really need well I guess that depends on what you plan to do when I was in middle school I read the book called the hatchet anybody read that book anybody have any idea what I'm talking about the hatchet are a couple out there read the book the hatchet and I was enthralled it's a story about a kid who who was on a plane ride and, and the pilot dies and crashes and in the wilderness up in Canada, and all he has is a hatchet. It's the only thing he has, and as it turns out, that's all he needed to survive in the wilderness, was, was this hatchet, and he used it to make weapons and make traps and to make shelter and fire and all sorts of things, and uh, boy, I was just I was all caught up in that. As a kid, I would go out, teenager, I was out in my parents' woods for, for hours with my hatchet, you know, pretending like... I was going to survive out there but let's be honest I'd have been dead in a couple days you know uh, and it probably wouldn't even been for lack of water Uh, that brings us back to our question what do you really need what is it that you really need for every human what we need in life and death is Jesus he is what we need and he provides what we need We're going to see some of that as we look at our text in Mark chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 30 and read down through verse 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest awhile. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. And he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Thousand men. Let's pray. Father, you are our provider. And the things that we truly need, you give us, Lord. And should we face further hardships in our day, Lord, we know that you are the one who feeds the birds of the heavens, you clothe the grass of the field. And so we look to you and we look to your provision through your son, Jesus Christ. Pray that you would make us a people who are full of trust in you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I believe our text here is inviting us to trust in Jesus who provides what we truly need. We want to see that, we'll see different aspects of that as we could summarize the story in in three words. Look first at rest, then We want to look at compassion, and finally, we want to look at faith. So rest, compassion, and faith. In verse 30, we see that the apostles return from being sent out by Jesus. Uh, They give their report. They come back and they tell about what they have seen, what they've said, what they've done, the way that God has worked through them. And it's interesting, Mark doesn't tell us a single story about that time, Jesus sends them out. We hear about John the Baptist beheading, and they come back. Not a single story about the time that they were out in the field. Uh, were they in fact rejected like Jesus said they might be? Um, what was their time like? Uh, whatever it was like, we don't know, but they return in one piece, and they did in fact fulfill what they were called to. They do remarkable works, and they taught as they went. Uh, it must have been a sense of accomplishment for them as they returned to Jesus. Now that they have returned, Jesus instructs them to rest. They need to rest. Mark notes in verse 31 that they're they're so busy, people are coming and going, that they don't even have time to eat. There's not even a good time for them to sit down and eat. If you don't have time to eat, you are busy indeed. At first, Jesus' command might sound unappealing to us as we look at the details. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Go to a desolate place to rest, we might think. Uh, do you really want to go out into the wilderness to take it easy? Uh, now, I know some of you would jump at the chance to go tent camping. I know that others might prefer more uh, furnished accommodations. Whether or not a vacation in the wilderness sounds exciting to you, uh, there's an, a couple important details here that, that helps us understand why this would be refreshing to them. Uh, it says here that it's, it's by themselves, it's alone. It's the first thing. It says, Come away by yourselves. The wilderness uh, is where they have to go if they want to get away from people. Uh, the fame of Jesus has spread so wide throughout Galilee. That if they want to get a break, they have to get away from people. They can't just go to a town and and rest there. Uh, They'll be seen and their services will be requested. You know, so maybe they're thinking, you know, out in the wilderness, maybe the scorpions are bad, but at least you get a break. You know, at least people aren't begging you to do something. The solitude of the wilderness offers them a break from the constant request of the crowd. Next thing we want to see of why this would be refreshing is that it's with Jesus. Notice he doesn't say, go away by yourselves. He says, come away by yourselves. They're going to be resting with Jesus. He's going to be an important part of that rest and refreshment. I'm sure that being with him would have been a ministry to them. So what do we learn from this? This brief part at the beginning, what do we take away from this? I think first of all, it's important to, to see that it is right to rest. We don't want to so idolize work that we refuse to ever take a break. Even Jesus and his disciples endeavored to rest when they needed it. There is humility in accepting that we are creatures and that we must rest and sleep. Only God, the creator, is eternal, immortal, all-powerful. Only he never sleeps or slumbers. We are his creatures made for work and made for rest. After creating the world in six days, God took one day to rest. And that's not because he needed it, uh, but it was for us to see. He set an example for us. So it's right to rest. If you feel guilty for ever taking a break, then you need to know that God gives you permission to rest. In fact, he commands it. Second application from this is that it's important to rest in Jesus. The disciples are to come away with Jesus. Their rest will include his presence. That is what we want for ourselves, too. I'm not saying that all of your weekends or all your vacations have to be nothing but reading the Bible and praying, uh, but do you give any time to that when you rest? It can feel like a sacrifice to make a habit of spending time with God, uh, but that time will be rewarded. Uh, There are just so many things. That demand our attention certainly Jesus and his disciples had crowds around them always demanding their attention as we live in our society today there is a constant barrage of things demanding our attention the news our phones our hobbies our endless list of projects they just keep adding up Uh, not to mention that we have to give time with our families and to work we have to give time to sleeping but it's fair to ask, what can we dial back in order to hack out some space to rest with Jesus? Uh, it is a discipline. Uh, it's something that you have to work at. It doesn't happen just naturally. It's something you have to protect. Uh, setting time aside with God can be like starting a new garden. Have you ever done that? Tried to expand a garden or start a new garden where there wasn't one? You take a, a patch of your yard and you decide you want to have a garden there, uh, you've got to rip out some of the old stuff, you got to till up the ground, you got to get the grass roots out, you got to fertilize the soil, and it's probably good to put a fence around it. If you want to have a garden instead of a patch of weeds, you've got to be intentional. It doesn't just happen by itself. You can't say, well, no garden appeared in my yard, I guess God didn't really want me to have a garden this year. Uh, We know better than to treat gardening that way, but we often treat our relationship with God that way. Uh, It will take some intentionality and work to get time to rest with Jesus. It doesn't just happen on its own, and we shouldn't be discouraged if it doesn't come automatically. We take time for the things that are important, and taking time to rest in Jesus is important. As good as all of that is, uh, we see that the disciples don't get to enjoy it yet. Uh, the compassion of Jesus is going to override their important need for rest. So we've seen rest. Now let's look at compassion. Verse 32 tells us uh, about their attempt to rest. They get in, get in the boat and they leave the busyness behind them, or so they think. Uh, verse 33 tells us what happens next. It says here, Now, Many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. People see Jesus and his disciples going on the Sea of Galilee, and they start following on shore. They start moving. As they pass from town to town along the shore, the crowd just keeps getting larger and larger. Uh, They're having a snowball effect as they move from town to town, and more people come out and gather. And they're joining. Finally, Jesus and the disciples reach their uh, desolate destination, um, but so much for solitude. I mean, could you imagine how the disciples must have felt at that moment? Ever take a vacation and feel like at the end of it you did more work than if you would have stayed at home? Uh, they, they take off, they go across the lake, and there's this massive crowd sitting there waiting for them to land. Well, Mark doesn't tell us what's going on in the disciples' uh, minds, but he does tell us what's going on in Jesus' mind and in his heart. Mark tells us uh, some remarkable things about Jesus. He says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Even in the midst of tiredness, Jesus has compassion on these people. He's not annoyed in the least. He sees them as sheep without a shepherd, and this tugs on the heart of the great shepherd. Ezekiel 34 tells us how Israel lacks good shepherds and how the shepherds of Israel in that day were using and abusing the sheep. And he says this in Ezekiel 34, verse 22 to 24. He says, I will rescue my sheep. This is God speaking. I will rescue my sheep. They shall no longer be a prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David and he shall feed them he shall feed them and be their shepherd and I the Lord will be their God and my servant David shall be prince among them I am the Lord I have spoken Jesus sees these people gathered in front of him like sheep without a shepherd he knows that he is the rightful shepherd of God's people uh, both as God himself as the son of God and as the son of David and he has compassion Now, he is going to feed the flock of God, literally, in a moment, as we'll see. Uh, But before that, he does something else first. Verse 34 says, and he began to teach them many things. His compassion for them, his compassion for this crowd, flows out first in teaching. That's the first place his compassion goes. It might strike us as a little strange, but it's important for us to catch this. We so often get a stereotype of Jesus that he was just uh, a nice guy and he was, he was feeding people, he was doing nice things, and, and that was what Jesus was all about. You know, I think some people in our culture think about Jesus that way. He was, just, he was a good guy, you know, he was always doing good things. Oh, that's true, certainly he did do miracles, certainly he did do good things. Uh, he's going to feed them in just a moment. The first thing he does is teach them. Jesus' miraculous deeds were never divorced from his teaching jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom and he taught he did that wherever he went he shows his compassion for this crowd by teaching them he loves them by giving them the truth the truth is never truly opposed to love I don't think we understand how important that is, especially in the culture that we live today to understand. I'm going to say that again. The truth is never truly opposed to love. It's not as if truth and love are this far apart. Love and truth always go together. Sometimes people say that Christians have to stop being so committed to Bible truth And just love people without any judgment. That is a false argument. That is a snare of the devil to blunt the truth. If I'm a doctor and I tell somebody that they don't have cancer when they really do have cancer just because I don't want to give them bad news, is that good? Is that being a good doctor? Of course not. The loving thing to do is to tell them the truth. To tell them the hard diagnosis so that they can go and seek treatment. For Christians to say, well, that's not sin. That's not a big deal. God will overlook that. We put a basket over the light of truth. The reality is that truth is going to catch up with everybody someday. Truth is going to catch up with everybody someday. And so we speak truth today while we can in hopes that others will get in line with the truth and avoid the consequences of the rebellion against God. No matter what our society says, God will always be God. He cannot be other than who He is. God is unchanging. He is eternal. There's no regime change coming for God. He is omniscient he knows everything there's there's not going to be some new information that's going to cause God to change his mind he doesn't care that it's 2022 when it's 2023 he ain't going to care that it's 2023 and our opinions about how society should be he is good and perfect so he can never accept evil he is our creator he knows how he made us And why he made us. And he has the right to tell us what to do. He has the the right to make us how he pleases. He is our judge. And we will all answer to him when it's all said and done. And in Christ, he is redeemer for all those who trust in Jesus for salvation and repent of their sins. The truth is going to catch up with everybody someday. So maybe it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus teaches this group. The first thing that he does, he goes and teaches many things. That, that shouldn't surprise us. He teaches them before he does anything else. And he does that as an act of compassion. But his compassion doesn't end there. Uh, when their physical needs arise, he is going to meet those needs as well, as we're going to see soon. Jesus, as the good shepherd, does feed his sheep. First, he feeds them spiritually, and then he's going to feed them physically. As followers of Jesus, we should be sharers of the truth and doers of good. While we're not saved by good works, our justification is by faith alone. As those who are saved by grace, our lives should be full of good works. We should reflect the compassion of Jesus to those whom God has put in our lives. So we've seen rest, seen compassion. Now let's look last at faith. In verses 35 and 36, we see the disciples are beginning to get a little anxious Jesus is teaching and he's teaching and he's teaching and he keeps teaching and the Sun begins to move across the sky and it's getting late and the disciples see that there is an event catastrophe on its way Uh, there's gonna be some logistical problems you might say Uh, they're beginning to see that the day is almost done and so they they come up to Jesus and they inform him that it's time for people to go home. You've you got to dismiss people, okay? Uh, I mean, look at the place that they're in. They intentionally went to a desolate place, after all. There's no town that they can stay the night in, and there's no food there. Now, if you go to a fair today, one of the summer fairs, uh, you don't have to pack a lunch. Generally, there's a food truck there. If you want to buy an $8 hot dog or get an elephant ear, you can do that. You know, they'll have food there. Uh, not so here. There, there were no food trucks to provide for them there. Uh, the disciples saw this steadily moving towards a crisis. Uh, they think that this event's about to turn sour, so they tell Jesus to send them home. Uh, let them go to the nearest town before night falls. I bet their jaws must have hit the floor when Jesus responded to them. He said, you give them something to eat. They must have been thinking, are you serious? Uh, what they say is, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Now, denarius says about a, a, a day's wage for a typical worker. So 200 denarii, I mean, we're talking over two-thirds of a year's salary. Is how much it's going to take to feed all these people. Uh, now, I think their initial response is not one of faith. Uh, they probably are pretty tired at this point. And the command of Jesus seems more than they can handle. So they put up a little fight. You know, do you really expect us to do that? It seems to be what they're saying. But Jesus is so patient with them. He asks them what they have. So it turns out they have five loaves, two fish, not very much. But he takes what little they have. He has the people sit down on the green grass. And he has people uh, set up in groups. Groups of hundreds and groups of fifties. I just want to reread this miraculous account again, verse 41, down to the end. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples that set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. That's just Amazing. Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000 men. And that's not even including the women and the children who were there. Like God multiplied the widow's oil in 1 Kings 4 with Elisha, so God multiplies this bread and fish to feed his people. Everybody is satisfied. At the end, there is more bread and fish than they started with. Twelve baskets are full of fragments. One for each apostle, it seems. While they were incredulous at first, Jesus proved that he could take care of this multitude. The disciples needed to believe Jesus. And throughout Mark's gospel, the, the, we see that the disciples are getting to know Jesus better. Here again, he patiently shows them who he is and what he can do. Brothers and sisters, we are so often like these disciples we believe, and yet we struggle when we come to a test and a trial, our initial response might not be a response of faith at first. If we're honest, uh, sometimes our initial response can be unbelief. But our shepherd is so patient with us. He gently leads us through this life, and he shows us what he can do. So we see the faith of the disciples here. Uh, There's another important aspect of faith that is present, uh, and that's the, the faith of those who eat the bread. Um, we can conjecture some things from Mark's account, but I want to jump over briefly to John's account here uh, to, to look at this miracle. In John's gospel, he shares with us an episode um, where Jesus is interacting with some unbelieving Jews uh, after this miracle has taken place. They ask Jesus to give them a sign. Jesus responds... Uh, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's John six, thirty-two to thirty-five. Jesus himself is the bread that comes down from heaven. God fed his people Israel in the wilderness with manna. Do you remember that back when they're going around the wilderness? There's nothing to eat, nothing to drink. God's providing water out of a rock. He's providing food from heaven. Jesus is saying that he is the manna that comes down from heaven. Here in this wilderness, Jesus feeds a great multitude of God's people. This is such an important miracle that it's recorded in all four gospels. This is actually the only miracle that is in every single gospel. There's different events, the baptisms in all four Gospels, the cross and resurrection are in all four Gospels. But as far as the miracle and Jesus' earthly ministry, this is the only one in all four. Jesus not only feeds the people with physical bread, but he feeds them with himself. Not all of those who had full bellies that day believed. But some who ate the physical bread by faith uh, took of Jesus also. They ate of Christ by faith, the bread who comes down from heaven. They received the true manna, Jesus Christ. Today, all those who believe in Jesus and turn from their sins are those who have taken of Christ by faith and have eaten. Jesus not only cares for our physical needs, but he cares uh, for us and our spiritual needs, and that's when we come to him. Jesus is able to provide our deepest needs, our truest needs, uh, and he, in fact, will provide what we need, and so because of that, we can trust in him. We've seen rest and compassion and now faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for caring for us. Thank you for sending sustenance. You sent your son from beside you to come to this earth and to die. To give his body to be broken for us. That we would have food. True food to give us life forever. Thank you for raising your son up from the dead. Lord, help us to be your people who trust in you, who cast ourselves upon you, and wait for you to show yourself able to provide everything we need. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.